Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. You do not need to fear that person that hates you. You do not need to fear where your next paycheck is going to come from. You do not need to fear whether you're going to have food to eat. You do not need to fear. You do not need to fear. Have you ever been caught outside in a storm? When the wind starts blowing and the lightning and thunder are all around, it can be pretty frightening, can't it? Well, I wonder if Jesus were standing beside us when that storm hit, would we be less afraid? When you are in the business of what God wants to do in and through your life, you do not need to fear. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to this week's Crosswalk. Our series from the book of Mark entitled, Jesus, the Real Action Hero, brings us today to the second half of chapter four. As you might guess from what I said just a moment ago, we're going to be looking at a situation where the disciples found themselves in a huge storm while they were in a boat out on the Sea of Galilee. Their reaction to the situation reveals some things about their faith, and it teaches us some things about how our faith should impact our life situations. God has to take you into a storm that He might expand our faith and help us learn, you can trust me, you can trust me in this. I really do have your back. But before we get to the lessons from the storm, Pastor Clay is going to show us a couple more lessons from Jesus' parables on sowing seeds and the growth of the kingdom of God. We're so glad you've taken the time to be with us today, and we pray that today's message is used by the Lord to speak into your life the truth you need for today. I'll be back after the message to wrap things up, but now, here's Pastor Clay. Two weeks ago, we looked at the first part of Mark chapter 4, and this parable that Jesus taught, this this parable of the, the seed, the sower, and the soil. This, this aspect of, of sowing and, and its relationship to the uh, kingdom of God. And, and Jesus begins uh, in the first, first parts of chapter 4, like through verse uh, uh, 8, he, he's telling the story about the different types of soil. He's describing all these different types of soil. And, um, and then in verse uh, 9, he makes this declaration where he says, He that has ears, let him, let him hear. He has ears. In other words, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Well, the disciples, uh, those who were following him, didn't, they had a little confused. They weren't quite sure about it. They're, they're kind of questioning. And so apparently they come to him and ask him to explain not only the parable that he's just told, but the reason why he was teaching in parables. Because as we'll see in a moment, uh, Jesus does a, a good deal of teaching in parables. Mark doesn't record all those, but uh, he does a good bit of teaching in parables. So the disciples come to him and ask him, why are you teaching in parables and what's the meaning of this parable? In verses uh, 10 and 11, Jesus kind of responds to the question of, of why are you teaching in parables? And he kind of explains uh, to them the, the purpose of the parables. We, we talked about it back then that this, this point in, this, in the parable uh, was, was not to, to hide truth. That was not the intent. That's not what God was, was uh, trying to do. Um, and then in verses like 13 uh, on down, he gives the explanation of the parable that he'd given about the soils. He explains that the different types of soils represent the different... Uh, receptiveness of people's hearts. How responsive are they uh, to the message of the gospel and this, this news about me and all that kind of stuff. And so he kind of explains about that. Now, that was two weeks ago. And the reason I bring that up, the reason I say all that, ladies and gentlemen, y'all with me this morning? Yes, sir. 
All right, zone in. Here we go. The reason I bring all that up is because I think it helps set the stage for an explanation of verses 21 through 25. Because as you read through chapter 4, if you, re- if you read it in its entirety, and we're going to read the rest of it in just a moment. But as you read through 21 through 25, it almost seems out of place. It almost seems like uh, Jesus is jumping around. And part of that could be just the way under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Mark recorded it. But I believe what Jesus is doing in 21 through 25, and by the way, not just me. There are a number of students of the book of Mark that believe that Jesus goes back to explaining about parables in verses 21 through 25. He goes back, and now listen, maybe he sensed that the disciples still were confused about this. Maybe they asked him again to explain. Now, why again are you doing these parables? And maybe Mark just doesn't record it. But the point is, Jesus seems to go back to an explanation of why he's teaching in parables. And I want to read uh, this morning. We're going to start in, uh, we're in chapter 4, and we're going to start in uh, verse 21. And he was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. There it is again. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Jesus, uh, like I said, is returning to this idea of explaining what the point of a parable is. And he he brings up this analogy of a a lamp. Uh, By the way, in the original language, and the New Testament was originally written in Greek, uh, in the original language, there is a definite article before, uh, before the word for lamp. And it's not conclusive, but it is possible that Jesus is kind of making a, uh, a double uh, application here. Spiritually, he, he, he may very well be saying, I am that lamp that's brought into the, to the room. Um, but, the, but, but Jesus, in the analogy, he says, a lamp, a lamp is not brought into a room uh, and, and, then, and then a cover put on it, is it? No, that, that's stupid. That wouldn't even make sense. That's essentially what he's saying. That wouldn't even make sense. A lamp is brought into a room to illuminate the room. A lamp is brought into the, to the room to bring light into the room. And so it wouldn't even make sense for you uh, to cover it up. And so he's getting to the fact that, again, what, what I said two weeks ago, the point of the, of the parable is not to hide the truth. That wouldn't even make sense. Jesus was the truth, John 14, 6. And he wanted men and women to know the truth. And so it wouldn't even make sense for him to, to cover that up or, or try and, and hide it. And so with the, with the analogy of the lampstand, then to me, verse 24 and verse 25 make perfect sense. Jesus is saying, listen, be careful. Because he just said, do you understand what I'm saying to you? Did you are you listening to me? The lampstand, you don't cover it up. Are you listening to me? And then 24 and 25, he says, so, be careful how you listen. Be careful what you listen to. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, listen, to the degree that you are listening. If you're listening to what I'm saying, then you're going to get this. If your heart is open, if you are receptive to what the Spirit of God is speaking into your life, then you're going to hear what is being said. And if it is not, if your heart is not open, like the religious leader's heart was not open. If your heart is not open, then you will not hear this. It'll just be a story, meaning the, when he tells a parable. 
It won't, it won't advance your knowledge of him. It won't give you... And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, if your heart is open, if you're listening, then, then you'll hear more. You'll understand more through these parables. But if it's not, if you're not listening, if you're not open to the Spirit, then, then it just won't make any difference at all. So, the point of the parable, again, seemingly explained. I'll say it one more time. I've hinted at it already this morning, but I'll say it in its fullness as I said it two weeks ago. The point of the parable is not to hide the truth. The point of the parable is to reveal the heart of men. It's to reveal men's hearts. It's not to hide God's truth. It's to reveal men's hearts. And if a person's heart is open, then they will, they may not understand everything about the parable. They may still go, as we'll see in the text, they may still go and say, now Jesus, what, okay, what? How, what does all this mean? Or what they, they may, but they'll want it. You understand what I'm saying? They want further understanding. They want to know deeper. But for people like the religious leaders, and, and maybe people like you and I know, I know plenty of people like that. They're like, nah, I don't want to know that Jesus stuff. I don't know that Bible stuff. Not so you understand what I'm saying? But for those who are open, they were going to receive it. So I will also then ask, before we get into the rest of the text, I will also ask, uh, and give the same challenge that I gave uh, two weeks ago, uh, which is this. Are you listening? Are you really listening to God's word? Now think about that a moment. Because listen, this is, this is not an academic exercise. This is not a check off my spiritual checklist. This is not another Sunday spent in here. Is it warm in here to y'all? I'm warm this morning. Wow. It's a fire. <laughs> Seems warm this morning. But it's, it's, see, if that's not what it is, are you listening? And I don't just mean up here on Sunday morning. I'm talking about, are you listening to God's word in your life? If you're here and you're a person who has not uh, acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord of your life yet, you've not received him as your Lord and Savior. I think I, I, think I asked you this two weeks ago, I, this, this question. I, I asked you specifically, if you're here, you've not committed your life to him, you're, maybe you're looking at it or you're thinking about it or you're not sure about it, but you've not trusted Jesus Christ with your personal, as your personal Savior. I can ask you this question. Are you open? Are you willing to listen to what the Spirit of God will speak into your life? Because I am fully confident, based on my own personal life and how God worked in my life, and what he's, more importantly, what he says in his world, I am fully confident that if you are receptive to God's word, if you are open to what God would speak into your life, then I have little doubt that God will speak into your life and he will draw you unto himself. But if you're here, honestly, if you're here and you're like, whatever, let's go, Chili's is calling my name. If, if, listen, if that's where you are, then I'll just be honest with you, I, nothing I say here is probably gonna make much difference to you today. And, and by the way, for those of you, and probably the majority of you here, who would say, hey, listen, I've, I've already been there. I've professed Christ my Savior. He is my Lord. I know he's my Lord. I've, I, I'm not perfect. I don't get it right all the time, but I know that I'm saved. I've been redeemed. I've trusted Christ as my Savior. The question applies just as much to us. Are you listening to God's word? Now, we could, whoa, we could go off down that rabbit hole, couldn't we? And just chase all day. That requires that I spend time in God's word. I spend time, but, you know, we don't have time for that. But am I listening to what God would speak into my life and what he would say to me about, about those people that I can't stand that I work with or about my spouse or about my finances or about my kids or about forever and ever, everything, right? Am I listening to what God would speak into my heart and my life? Okay, all right. 
All right, let's read the rest of it. Because there's, there's three truths in here. We're going to go back into parables. Jesus explains it. It comes back to this idea. Here's what parables for. You've got to get it. You've got to open your ears. You've got to be listening. Then now, let's read the rest of it. Beginning uh, in uh, verse 26, Jesus jumps back into another parable. You ready? Are you listening for the parable? You listening for the truth? <laughs> oh, man. And he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said... How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? Well, it's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all of the garden plants and forms large branches so that even birds of the air can nest under its shade. And with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. And on that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go to the other side. And Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep, on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Anybody ever said that to Jesus before in your life? Come on. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's, uh, let's look at some truths. From There's a lot going on there in chapter 4 and the latter part, I know. But let's, let's look at a few things this morning. Let's start with this one. The kingdom's growth is a mysterious thing. But then again, it's not. In verse uh, 26... Jesus was saying, he starts into another parable. He told the first seed parable, seed sowed, seed soil and sower parable. Gives an explanation about parables again. And then he goes back to the, another seed parable. And he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and he gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows up. He himself does not know. Then the soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus goes back to seed parables, uh, agricultural parables, because, I believe, because, number one, uh, the culture in which he lived, the culture in which he was teaching was, was to a very large extent, an an agricultural culture, an uh, agricultural uh, mindset. And so the people that he was teaching would have had a significant amount of knowledge uh, in that area. And so it would be very easy to make an analogy, an agriculture type analogy that people would say, oh yeah, I get that. 
I understand. We're, some of that gets lost in some uh, city folks uh, nowadays. Some of y'all city folks. I grew up on a farm. But uh, some of y'all city folks, some of that gets lost. But, but back then, there was, oh, yeah, I, I get that. So uh, Jesus is just working right where they are. But second, I think that he goes back to the seed parable because it seems fairly obvious, at least to me, that these three seed parables are intended to be taken in their totality. They're intended to be taken together. And, and all of them together are, are communicating this message about the growth of the kingdom of God. The numerical growth of the kingdom of God. There's a sense that the kingdom of God is all around us. The kingdom of God exists. God has always reigned. God always will reign. Uh, God has, you know, all that. But I'm talking about the, 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 the expansion of the kingdom by more people coming into faith in him. That idea of kingdom growth. All three of these parables seem to be dealing with that idea that, this, that, the, that the kingdom expands as, as more people come to understand who I am. As they come to understand the truth. And he, and he starts talking about this farmer. He says, uh, you know, a farmer uh, plants seed. He, he sows the seed into the ground. And, and, then, and then he goes to bed. What Jesus is saying, for all intents and purposes, when the farmer uh, plants the seed in the ground, in a sense, his, his job is finished. Now, I know, especially like nowadays, we've got fertilizers and we've got, you know, insecticides. And, of course, there's watering has to be done and all that. Uh, I know there's stuff to keep the farmer busy, but I think you understand the, the intent of the story. What he's saying is, is that the farmer doesn't, the farmer doesn't make the seed grow. He, he doesn't. He puts it in the ground, but he doesn't make it grow. He may not understand the science behind what's involved in making this uh, come to fruition, all he knows is that he puts the seed in the ground. If he's faithful to put seed in the ground, a crop will come up. The kingdom of God is a mysterious thing. Hey, come on. Are, are there not times in our lives where we don't have an idea or a clue of what God is doing or how God is going to work or how he's going to minister and something or how he's going to reach that person? Or what? It's, it is a mysterious thing. I was thinking this week and I was working on this message and I, I, and I was working on this, this point right here and I was thinking of my, my, my brother... Russell Hill over there, and I called Russell, and I, I asked him, it's okay to, to use him as an example, and, and, uh, and he just, he has complete trust in his pastor, because he didn't even ask me, he said, what are you going to say? Well, do I have to eat none of that? He said, of course you can. He'd take a bullet for me. <laughs> Would you? <laughs> now, so, uh, but I was thinking about my brother Russell. Now, if you don't know Russell, some of you don't know Russell, you might not know Russell. Uh, he and Wendy and their family have been a part of cross culture for a few years now. But, but Russell is a, re- a retired uh, Marine Corps sniper. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah, he'd send a bullet. That's right. But he's, he's a retired, retired Marine Corps sniper. Listen, so, so you understand what I'm saying? I, I'm, I, I have never been in the military, but I've seen plenty of John Wayne movies, and so I'm, I'm pretty sure that I know. It's, man, it is, it is tough. It is a rough, tough environment, right? Are those of you that are, have been in the military, would you agree with that? Is there, I mean, you got you to be rough. You got to be tough. Uh, male, female, I mean, there's this idea, there's this expectation, and, and usually the people are around you, you know, it's not like it's the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, you know, it's not, there's, you know, it's not like it's, uh, you, know, so, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's not much spiritually going on oftentimes. And, uh, and I, I've heard uh, just some of Russell's story. I'm telling you, the guy has, has, uh, has been all over the world and, and he's seen more action than, than you'd see in a Chuck Norris movie marathon. This guy has, has, has seen it, he's done it. When, when, a couple years ago, we went together, uh, uh, Russell and I, a couple of guys on a team, went to uh, Haiti to do some relief work after the earthquake down there. 
and we were flying in, and I, and I think we were just coming to the island or something, and I, and I, was, I was saying something about the island or the Caribbean or, or something, but somehow I was asking Russell about it, and, and, and uh, Russell said, uh, oh, I, I've been to Haiti before. And I said, oh, really? Wow, that's, that's cool. Was it uh, on vacation? Was it a mission trip or whatever? No, no, no. And he starts telling me, he says, no, I was, uh, me and another guy, a two-man team, were uh, put in a raft by, by a ship offshore and uh, came to shore, you know, by stealth uh, and went up into the hills. It was during a time of a government coup. There have been a few government coups in Haiti, if you're not uh, aware of that. But there's a government coup, and uh, we were sent ashore uh, to provide uh, cover for uh, refugees who were fleeing to one end of the island. They were trying to get away from the mass, you know, all stuff going on. And we, it was our assignment to take out bad guys from long range. So we're up there four or five days, and, and he was telling me that. And I'm like, wow, I camped in my backyard one time, and a rac- <laughs> raccoon came by, and I had to kind of scare him off. But that was about it, you know. But, you know, but I was thinking, you know, what, what, what I was thinking about it, Russell, was because there's no reason. There's not, not really a reason why he should be here today, a part of the body of Christ, growing in his relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, serving the body. There's, there's not really, you understand what I'm saying? But, but people planted seed in his life all along the way. His, his family members planted seed. I, I remember particularly uh, an officer in, in, in the military that, that really had a bigger impact on Russell than Russell even realized at the time. But people planted seed, and, 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 and that seed, that soil was receptive to the seed in God's timing, and Russell came to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. It, it's, a, it's a mysterious thing. It's a very mysterious thing how this happens. Paul uh, writes this in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, I planted a seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. In the context of that, Paul's saying, this, listen, this is not, this, this is a work of God. This is a mysterious thing that he is doing here. And, and we have to come to that place where we understand that, that it is a mysterious thing. And I said a moment ago, there are times when we're just like, I don't, God, whoa, how are you going to reach that person? How are you going to reach my son who claims he's an atheist? How are you going to reach uh, this guy that's doing this? How are you going to reach that person that doesn't care a thing about? God, how are you going to bring a work in, in this situation? Or my work environment is so ungodly. Or God, what do you, man, it is a mysterious thing. But then again, it's not. Because in Jesus' parable, the farmer is you. The, the farmer is me. And all we got to do is scatter seed. Sow seed. I, I don't have to understand all the mystery behind what will, will, will see that seed come to life in a person's life. I don't, have to, I don't have to understand that. Sure, I'd love to understand. I'd love to see it. But I, I, don't, I, don't, have, I don't even have to see the fruit come up. I just have to sow seed. Listen, before we move on, only every one of us individually can answer this question. But to the extent that each one of us who profess Christ as our Savior, if you're here and you're still debating this whole thing and uncertain, okay, you're, you don't have to worry, you're not at that point. But for all of us here who would say, he is my Savior, I've made him my Lord, I know he is, to the degree that we are sowing seed, and as I said, only you can answer that for yourself. For the most part, to, to the degree that I am sowing seed, to the degree that you are sowing seed, that is to the degree, I believe, that we will see what God does with that seed. All we have to do is be faithful 
to it. Now listen, let me, let, me, let me turn this around another way just so I, I think we capture the impact of what Jesus is saying here. If we are not sowing seed, then we are hindering the growth of the kingdom of God. I, I really believe that. Now listen, I'm not taking anything away from the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He works. Uh, he, can, he can stir a person's heart and he can draw a person to him and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if you, if you know what I mean by this, I hope, I don't, hope I'm not extend, overstepping my bounds when I say this. There is a sense that God has subcontracted kingdom work to us. He said, you go make disciples. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, you go sow seed. And to the degree that I am not doing that, I, I honestly believe that I am hindering the work of the kingdom. So, on that heavy note, Let's look at the second idea. The kingdom's growth is a little thing, but then again, it's not. Let's look at verse 30. Y'all still with me? I know it's hot. Hanging in there? If you like the person next to you, have them blow on your neck or something if you're too hot. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? So he's moving on. He's going to another parable. He said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when, it, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. There's the parable in 33 and 34. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Explaining everything privately to his own disciples simply means, again, those who were receptive, those who wanted to hear that admission he'd already given in verse 24 and 25. Those who were coming to him that wanted this explanation, he was more than willing to give it to them. He wanted them to get it. He wanted them to understand. Jesus goes into another parable. And this time... He uses a mustard seed. I got in my wife's cabinet last night. <laughs> and I got the mustard seeds out. Listen, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll leave the lid off it, which is always a dangerous thing. I'll tell you what, I'm going I'm to hand this to Deborah. And uh, however it gets around, somebody help me out with this, but just, just take one, one seed, uh, if you will, and pass the jar around. It is a tiny, y'all can't even see it, can you? I can't even get my fat fingers apart. It's a tiny little thing. Jesus is the kingdom of God. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed. Or we might more properly say he compares what, the kingdom of God to what happens to a mustard seed. He says it's a, it's, a, it's a tiny little thing. It's a tiny seed. By the way, uh, Jesus is not making a, a horticultural statement. Is that, is that the right word? He's not... He's not uh, declaring that, that the mustard seed is the tiniest seed known to mankind. It's, it's not. There are tinier seeds than the, than the mustard seed. Some of them just get carried on the wind and that, that sort of stuff. But in, in the nation of Israel at, at that time, in, in that, or not just the nation of Israel, but that part of the world, the mustard seed, uh, technically I think it's the black mustard seed over there, the, the mustard seed would be the smallest seed that a farmer would sow into the ground. This is what they would know, and so this is the example that he uses. By the way, uh, from what I could research, what I read, um, the black mustard seed uh, in Israel grows to a high, an average height of around 12 feet, more than large enough for birds to nest in. 
But the implication of this parable, and the parable's really short. It's just uh, 30, 31, and 32, I think, right there. It's just, it's just real short. But the point of the parable seems fairly obvious. That this may look like a small little thing. This may look like an insignificant little thing. But you can't even imagine, at this point, you can't even imagine how large this thing is going to grow. You can't believe how big this is going to be. If you think about it, if you're familiar with the story, even, even at its beginning, right? Jesus, born into such humble... He doesn't come in some spectacular, grandiose, you know, way. But he's born lowly, humbly, in a, in a barn, not a palace. And it's announced not, not to the high and mighty, but to the, but to the lowly shepherd. And he grows up in a town nicknamed Weed Patch. And who does he recruit for this movement? Common fishermen and hated tax collectors and that lot. And no sooner does Jesus get this thing started, but he manages to get himself killed because he won't play ball with the religious powers that be of that day. I'm telling you, everything about this Movement is a poster child for how not to do a movement. But what the world did not understand, what the world did not know, was that Jesus himself was seed that would go in the ground. And three days later would come back to life victorious over, not only victorious over death, hell, and the grave, but also in a sense bringing with him the kingdom of God that was, that was available to everyone and to anyone. Who would come? And listen, listen, it is remarkable. I know some of y'all hate history. Don't hate history. <laughs> You're not helping me, brother. <laughs> listen, listen. If you, know, if you know anything about church history or even, even those early days, listen. We know from, from, from Scripture that, that within a few short days after the resurrection, uh, 1 Corinthians, I think, 15, 6, there were 500 that then believed. By the time Pentecost comes along, 40 days later, Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches, and 3,000 get saved. And by the time you come to the end of the first century, roughly, you know, 65, 67 years after Jesus' returned to heaven, in that short period of time, the, the kingdom of God, the message of Jesus, has penetrated virtually every corner of the known world and is already spreading beyond into the, into the, the darker parts of the world. And, and I love to remind people, okay, no, no texting is available, no Facebook, just face-to-face, no, no speaker systems, no mass communication, no cell phones, no, no mass means of travel, just people with a, with a passion to spread the truth that God's kingdom had come in the form of Jesus Christ, that he had died on the cross, been raised from the dead, and had provided eternal life for those who would come to him. Jesus, it's such a little thing. But then again, it's, it's not. Listen, um, even, in, even in our own world, even, in, even in, in, the, in the local idea of kingdom growth, even within the, this, this uh, cross-culture church, to, to, to many people, to the world, this, this is just a little thing. We're, we're not a large church by any stretch of the imagination. It, it's just, a, it's just a, a little thing. But then again, it's not. Because every single life that is touched 
Every single family that is impacted for the kingdom, every single investment that we make in our community, in, our, in these schools, uh, in, in the families around us, every single time we engage in the world around us, it's an opportunity for the kingdom of God to expand, for God to reach more people and to see more people come to be part of his kingdom. And I, can I tell you all this? This is... Uh, I just added this last night. I was praying over my sermon and stuff, and I just, and I, th- and I thought, and it's true. I, sometimes I, I back up, and I kind of inspect my own life, and I kind of look at it, and I, and, and I thought about this, and I thought, yeah, it, I am. I am. It don't make sense, but I am. I, I am, I am I've been at this. We've been at this at Cross Culture now for about six years, and I am still excited. I'm still really excited, and, and I really am. And I have, and I, listen, I am, I am, truthfully, I am so grateful to God for my wife, for Travis and Lauren, for all of you who are part of this kingdom growing thing, this opportunity to, to, to sow seed in this community and, and see God work in people's lives. But I, I say, I have told God more times than he probably wants to hear because sometimes I look at it, God, I don't, I don't know what you're doing, right? That's the whole idea. Where it's a mysterious thing. God, I, so I'm trying to figure out what's happening or, or how, we're not baptizing enough people or God, you know, what? And I've told God this more times than he probably wants to hear. One of these days he may take me up on it, but uh, I have told God that you're going to have to kill me or move me because I'm going to do this until you tell me to do something else. This is what, this is what I'm going to do. Because it's, it, it, it may look like a tiny thing, but, but it's not. It's not. God does so much more. And even in the life of this local fellowship, just a couple hundred now, but maybe pretty soon 500, like 1 Corinthians 15, 6. And then after that, maybe 3,000, like Acts chapter 2. Why not? Why not? Why not? Does, does God desire to save more people then than he did today? Does he does today? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't know where your theology takes you on that, but I, I don't think so. So it, it may look like a little thing, but it's really not a little thing. In every life that you touch. Now here's what I want you to do. Let me go on to the last one here in just a second. But... If you still have this seed or if it may still be making its way around, you'll get one before we leave here today. But uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this seed with you today. And I, I don't know, maybe it's not that big a deal to you. Maybe it's just whatever. But I want you to take this seed with you today. And I, want you, and I want you to think about this seed. If you're here and you profess to be a follower of Jesus, you, you're pretty clear that his command is for you to, to be his witness, to sow seed. He, it's coming up in, in these parables. Then when you take this seed with you today, I want, uh, I want you to carry it out of here and I want you to, Give some thought to it. I want you to pray about it a little bit. Maybe an hour, maybe three days, maybe whatever, whatever the uh, point, place where you feel like you're settled on this. And then I want you to take this seed and I want you to just symbolically sow it into the ground, wherever you, it might be in the parking lot of where you work. You understand what I'm saying? It might be in your neighborhood. It might be to, uh, to your, some of your family members that are, that are lost and in need of Christ and, you, and you're having a chance to impact them. Where would it be? I want you to symbolically, I want you to just, if you will, all right? If you, and, if you, and if you don't, if you say, you know what, I, oh, no. I ain't a farmer and Jesus is not making me one. I'm not sowing seed, I'm not going to do it. I'll just be content to go to heaven. I don't even have time to get into the issues <laughs> with, that, with your theology. But anyway, but if you will, if you'll take that and say, you know what? This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm scared to death, and I, it's a mysterious thing, and I don't know what all God's doing, and we're back to talk about fear. But, but if you will, you take this seed, and you just, you just throw it. You just scatter it into the ground, or dig a hole and drop it. I don't care what you do. And then say to God, God, I want to be a sower. I want to be a sower in people's lives. Forgive me when I forget about it. Forgive me when I blow it. Forgive me when I'm so wrapped up in my own world that I don't even think about 
the soil that needs to be sown into. Help me to, re- to remember that I'm a sower of seed. May I, seed. may I sow your seed, your truth, and may you then, I don't have to know how it works, God. Will you bring the increase? I hope you'll do that today. All right, one more truth uh, to show you this morning, and it's an important one. Uh, the kingdom's growth is a scary thing. But then again, it's not. Say it. Say, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not. Verse 35, uh, on that day when evening came, so it's the same day, he's just given these parables. By the way, uh, I didn't say this earlier, but Mark mentions that with many parables Jesus was teaching, and he didn't teach them anything without parables. Uh, interestingly enough, Mark doesn't record any more parables. I think he records one more parable in Mark chapter 12, what's known as the parable of the vine growers. Uh, but, but Jesus taught them through parables. Mark doesn't record them because we've, we've talked about this all the way through. Mark's about action. He's about, he's about showing the miraculous works. He's about showing the power of, of Christ as proof that he really was the Son of God. But on that same day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and there arose a fierce gale of wind. And the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They probably didn't say it that calmly, but. And he got up and he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When the disciples got into the boat, Right? I mean, this is what I would think. If I'm, a, if I'm one of the disciples, one of those original guys, that group back then, when I got into the boat, I'm thinking, okay, teaching time is over for today. Not. Because here's what the disciples had to understand. And listen, listen now, this is vitally important. This is what the disciples had to understand, and this is what you and me have to understand. It's not about just learning the lesson. It's about living the lesson. It's about hearing it, receiving it by faith, and our faith growing as a result of it, and acting upon it. In uh, Romans uh, chapter 10, uh, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. Where does your faith come from? And the message is heard through the word about Christ. It's not just about the hearing. Oh, they they hear it, right? They have heard his teaching. He's teaching lots of parables. Like I said, Mark doesn't record them all, but he is teaching left and right. He's doing miraculous things left and right. He's doing all this stuff. But that's not what it's about. It's about living the lesson. And so, watch this, because y'all know where this is going, don't you, with y'all. Watch this. God is going to take them out into deep water. God is going to take them through a storm. And they get out there and the storm hits and they are terrified. They are terrified, right? 
Hey, listen, let me give you three reasons why the disciples should not have been afraid. These aren't mine. I borrowed these from a Bible commentator, Warren Wearsby. He doesn't say them exactly like me, but it's the same idea. I want to give you three reasons why the disciples did not need to be afraid in in that instance. Number one, here it is. Uh, They had his word. Did you catch what Jesus said to them when when they got in the boat? Come, let us get in and go to where? Let us go to the other side. He didn't tell them about the storm. He didn't tell them how long it was going to take. He didn't tell them what they were going to face. But he said, we're going to the other side. And buddy, if Jesus says it, that settles it. Case closed. They had his very word that they were going to the other side. Second, they, they had him with them. That's a pretty good deal. The creator of the universe is right there beside them. And that, that ought to count for something. Third, they had his witness. <laughs> He's asleep. Listen, the, the, storm, the storm is raging. The wind is blowing. The waves are crashing. The lightning is lightning. The thunder is, is thundering. And Jesus is asleep. Is he drunk? No. Did he take an Ambien? No. Jesus has absolute... Listen, this is a remarkable thing. And, and listen, ah. You got you to move it to you, okay? Don't, I know because you're sitting there. I know, I know you guys. You're sitting there thinking, yeah, but that was Jesus. Jesus is in you if you know him as your Lord and Savior. And he has perfectly, look at this, uh, Psalm uh, 4, verse 8. Uh, I, in peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. Uh, can anybody put a price tag on what that is worth? <laughs> to be able to lie down in perfect peace and just sleep. With not thoughts about, oh, what I got, what I got to do tomorrow? Or, or how am I going to pay these bills? Or, or da 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 um, The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah uh, chapter 26, you will keep in perfect peace those whose mind, minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Listen, I fully admit, severity of storms vary, right? But there is something to the idea that God provides peace in our life. Now, let me say this. It doesn't mean that we are, that we are never scared or uh, never fearful. I, I'm scared of spiders, I used to work with a guy. I mean, he was, he was a rough, tough cowboy. He was a, a ranch-owning, horse-riding, cow-roping, I mean, tough dude. He was deathly afraid of chickens. <laughs> he, I'm telling you, even a picture of a chicken, and he would, he would, he would run. So, listen, I, there, there are fearful things. Talking about uh, fearful being out in storms and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I've been in a few. I, I was one time, uh, I was down in the Florida Keys and I was doing some lobster diving and uh, my brother was with me and, uh, and was in a boat, was in a boat with me and his wife and uh, a guy named uh, Jerry, I think it was Jerry, Jerry or David Sheedy, one of them was w- with us and my oldest son, JC, who was, he was six or seven or eight or some, something like that at that time. And, um, and, the, and everybody had gone down and, and JC and I swam around the water for a little while uh, but, 
but then we got back in the boat. You know, he didn't, he didn't have tanks and stuff. We got back in the boat. And uh, so I was just with him. And while we were there, this beautiful, you know, day in the Florida Keys, and, and here comes this storm. And you can see it, just a matter of minutes, this storm, this squall comes up. And if you've ever been in, in, a, in places where that happens, just like in the Sea of Galilee, it happens very, very quickly. And so the squall comes up. Well, my brother and, and his wife and, and David, they don't know anything. They're under the water and they don't know anything's going on. Well, the storm hits and I'm telling you, it is, it is rocking, man. It is, it's the wind and the lightning is popping everywhere and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and, the, and the wind, the sea is just being driven. And, and my brother pops up first. And he's like, he's close to the boat. He's like within 10 feet of the boat, but the current is so strong that it's just carrying him away. We're anchored and, and JC can't get the, can't get the rope undone on the anchor. And I'm telling you, you can't see beyond the end of the boat. And I, and I'm thinking if he gets out of our sight, we'll never see him again. He'll drown. And so will all the rest of them people down there. And so JC's pulling and he's freaking out and I'm yelling at him and not being very Christ-like at the moment. And, and uh, so then I jump up there and I can't get the rope out either. And, and the current's pulling the boat so tight that you can't untie. You think, well, I'm an idiot, just untie it. No, it couldn't, it's too tight. So I found a knife somewhere, finally we cut the anchor loose and, and drift it back. And we just managed, as we drift it back uh, and started the engine, I uh, found him. And he gets in the boat, but by now we're gone. We can't find those other two, pe- other two people that are down under there. And we're flying, we're driving as fast as you can in that, in that boat, and you cannot see the end of the, the boat. I mean, I'm like, this is crazy. But if we don't find, and the lightning is all that kind of stuff. Listen, that, can I tell you? That was scary. That was a scary moment. So I think the point of what Jesus is making is not that Oh, by the way, we did find those two people. They didn't drown. There's <laughs> a lot more to the story, but I, I, I wanted you all to focus back in because I know you're thinking, what, what happened to those people? It's a, long, it's a long story. But anyway, I think the point of what Jesus is saying here is that, listen, when it comes to the work of the kingdom of God, you do not have to be afraid of anything. When you are in the business of sowing seed, when you're in the business of of what God wants to do in and through your life, you do not need to fear. You do not need to fear that person that hates you. You do not need to fear where your next paycheck is going to come from. You do not need to fear whether you're going to have food to eat. You do not need to fear. You do not need to fear. I think that's the point of what he's saying. Now, I know I've got to close, but here's, here's the part that probably none of us want to hear. But because God loves us every bit as much as he did the people in that boat. You understand? Would you agree with me on that? Every bit as much as the people in that boat in the Sea of Galilee that, that night. Because he loves us just as much, guess what God will do in our lives? He will take us into storms. Well, that's not nice. Yes, yes it is. Because, remember what I said? It's not about learning the lesson. It's about living the lesson. And so if God has to take you into a storm, I just, uh, you don't have to, whatever, but if you feel, how many of you feel like you're in a storm right now in your life? Anybody? Got okay. All right. The rest of you that didn't raise your hand, you've either just come out of one or you're about to go into one or you're lying. Right? Because it's just, right? just going to, we just have storms in life. But to think that, that God would care enough for us that at times, lessons not done when we close the Bible, but that God would take us into stuff that he might expand our faith and help us learn. You can trust me. You can trust me in this. I really do have your back. I really do have the best intention for you. Listen, I know, I know. 
I know it's scary sometimes. It's, it, it, it is. But it's not. Because he really is right there with you. He really is. And listen, can I tell you this? There may be times, all right? All right? Intellectually, theologically, okay, yeah, I know he's right beside me. But I feel like he's asleep. Can I get a witness? There's times when you may feel like he's asleep. There's times when you may feel like he doesn't even care about you. But listen, it's not true. It is not true based on the authority of his word. Listen to me. God will take us to the other side. As uh, to close with this, the Apostle Paul uh, puts it in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Seeing people come to the Savior and then equipping them with the tools they need to grow in their walk with Christ is the call of the church. As Pastor Clay showed us today from Jesus' parables, the growth of the kingdom is a mysterious thing. God changing a person's heart is truly a miracle. But our call is to sow seed into people's lives and let God handle bringing in the crop. And we may feel at times that what we do is small and insignificant, but nothing could be further from the truth. And as we saw with the disciples, being a part of God's kingdom growth can sometimes be a scary thing. But when we know that He is with us, we need not fear at all. We'll close today's program asking the same question that Pastor Clay asked earlier in his message. Whose life are you sowing seed into? Are you allowing yourself to be used to grow God's kingdom? Our prayer is that all of us would do our part for the glory of God and the building of His kingdom. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.